0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Geek Warning, brought to you by the Escape Collective. I'm James Huang, and I'm once again here in our virtual studio with our usual panel of geeks. Uh, Joining me from Sydney, Australia, is Escape Collective's senior technical editor, Dave Rome, in Sydney, Australia. Hi, Dave. Howdy. And we also have our other tech editor up in Ireland, Ronan McLaughlin.
1: Hi, Ronan. Hello. We've Hello. We've
0: got a little bit of a short timeline here for you, because apparently you have to go get on a plane to go do something fun. Yeah. Um... Yeah, can we I'm tell? Playing. Can we tell people what that fun thing is?
1: Uh, I Suppose we probably can. No reason why not. I guess. Um, I'm going to. I'm going to meet Johnny Long.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, After I meet Johnny Long, I'm going driving a Formula One car, but that won't be as fun as meeting Johnny Long.
0: <laughs>
1: perfect. Perfect.
0: How How are those garage cabinets coming along? Uh, I have five built
1: now, so another three or four to go. Uh, That's pretty good. I found myself some worktops yesterday. I got eight meters of warped up for sixty pound. I think seventy pound should wow. be two hundred pound for four meters. Wow! Um, you know what that? You know what that sounds like to me? Bargain sounds like eight meters of clutter. <laughs> I'm I'm probably not going to use it all, but it was like such a good deal. I just had to take it. <laughs> may, may end up needing a new a new tool, a new saw to to cut through it. Um, not mm. sure what I have is up to this, but we'll see. I'm sure
0: you will be able to tackle that problem when it comes up. Mm-hmm. Uh speaking of which, Dave, I have a slightly different variation on my usual oh, question yeah. for you. What is next on your list of tools to buy? Next on the list of tools to buy. I feel like
2: I'm uh very reactive
0: to the world of tools. Oh, interesting. Um, I wasn't I yeah. wasn't sure if this was like a like a pre-planned sort of thing or just kind of more spur of the moment.
2: No, I mean I still I still would like to get another disc brake facing uh yeah disc brake tab facing tool uh that's been on the list for a while i mean i've I've got the park tool and and it does the job but i've I, I still would very much like to actually own one of the uh the tools a var or a cyclist that does both tabs simultaneously um so that's that's been something that i've been actually every few months i get inspired and try to buy one and then realize just how hard it is to actually get one of those sent to australia Um, and how expensive they are and how expensive they are and yeah so one day perhaps next
1: time i fly to meet you dave and i could bring one from yes yes that would be very good
2: yeah it's funny i keep i have actually ordered the bar like three times through three individual people and then ended up like either canceling or, or them not being able to get it for me so uh We'll uh, we'll get
0: there eventually. It's it's the elusive tool. Uh, of the var and the cyclist, Dave. Do you have a preference as to which one you would probably get?
2: Yeah, I think it's. I think they both have their their limitations. I think the the cyclist has limitations in the way it mounts the bike with the axle, and the var has limitations in. Uh, the fact that they don't respond to emails <laughs> and, uh, and also uh there's yeah uh some people have had them where they're not actually the tool itself is not perfectly straight, and they've had to use like a washer to to make the tool straight uh or to make the uh. to make the cutters level so I think that's a that's kind of an issue um so yeah neither are are, are, are absolutely perfect, but I think between the two probably the cyclists. intriguing hmm.
0: all right, well. Uh, looking outside of that, it has been definitely a very busy week in the world of bike tech. Uh, we've got a long list of things to talk about today. So we've got a new bike from legendary us brand moots. That's uh, a little bit of a head scratcher. Uh, we've got some new arrow wheels from DT Swiss and fulcrum. Uh, some promising and maybe not so promising tire news and also some promising and not so promising news about a couple of e-bike brands. Uh, we're also going to chat about Ashton Lambie's recent adventure with a little bit of a trailside frame repair. Uh, I've also got some thoughts on how to stay safe while riding on the road. And we'll finish up with a kind of a perplexing little PSA. Maybe not so perplexing, but a little unusual little PSA on charging your Shimano Di2 electronic drivetrain. So. As I said, it is a long list, so maybe let's just go ahead and dive right in. Plus, Ronan needs to go to bed. Uh, first up, anyway, is, uh, is this new Moots. So as most of you listening to this podcast probably already know, so Moots is a Colorado brand that's built its, basically its entire identity on handcrafted titanium bikes. And this new Express is neither of those things. Uh, it's a carbon fiber e-gravel bike. It's molded in Asia. Just the fact that it's molded in Asia in and of itself isn't that big of a deal. Um, it's also outfitted with a Shimano EP801 mid-drive e-assist motor. It's got a Shimano e-bike specific 1x11 drivetrain, kind of based on the XT Di 2 system. Uh, it's got Shimano GRX carbon wheels, a bunch of carbon fiber finishing kit that comes from Moot's own in-house brand, MOD, M-O-D. Uh, there's a battery hidden inside the down tube that Moot says will power this thing well past 100 miles. That is a quote, uh, which is the equivalent of 161K. Uh, and the system has been tuned to, quote, feel like a Moot's, unquote, uh, whatever that means. So claimed weight is pretty impressive, actually, for, uh, for an e bike of any sort. It's only 15 kilos, 33 pounds. Uh, retail price is an even 10K US. And sorry, it's only US only for now. And it looks like it'll actually be a pretty good e gravel bike uh the only the only issue i have with this thing however is that i'm not really sure this is a moot in the traditional sense of the word it's
2: not uh yeah as you say it looks like a fantastic bike it looks like they've done their research and figured out what that market needs and what a customer looking to buy an e-gravel bike probably wants out of such a bike and it looks like they've nailed it i just don't think it has the right brand on the down tube i think i think they've misstepped here and this is exactly where you would create a sister brand or a, a sibling brand to to launch the product with and sell it off the back of Moots say you know designed by the team of Moots or you know engineered and designed in Steamboat Springs the house of Moots or something like that but don't yeah I don't know it's just Moots is such an iconic titanium American made brand that this just feels so
0: weirdly misplaced within that name. I mean, maybe I'm too close to this, and you know, maybe I've had Moots on too high a pedestal for too much of my life, or something. But I mean, this almost kind of feels like sacrilege to me. Like, so again, like I said, the fact that it's ma- the fact that any frame is made in Asia, I don't think is an inherently bad thing. There's tons and tons of carbon fiber frames, in particular, made in Asia that they're they're awesome. Nothing wrong with that. But the fact that this is neither titanium nor made in Steamboat Springs automatically, to me, discounts it from being a Moots. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and I think it's worth stating, like, Moots has had some some change of heads lately. Like, it's, uh, you know, they, they were acquired in, I believe it was 2019 um, by a private owner. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's sole ownership now, and I guess he, he gets to call the shops. No, not sole
0: ownership. No, actually, I, from, from what I hear, actually, there has been another change of hands. So, um, this the sole owner, uh, Brent, Brent Whittingham, mm-hmm. uh, I think he lives in Little Rock, Arkansas, or somewhere around there, or maybe... He moved to Maybe Colorado. Yeah, he was in Arkansas. He, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. he, uh, from what I've been told, he sold all but twenty percent of the company to a group of investors in Texas last year. So oh. basically, at the height, basically at the height of the COVID-fueled bike uh, bike boom. So oh, that's my, interesting. My guess is he. I mean, I would presume he made a decent little paycheck off of that thing, but, but I mean, fine. You invest in something; it's not. It, you know, you can't blame someone for wanting a return on that investment or turning it around and you know getting a payback or whatever some at some point. Um, but whereas Brent was very, at least publicly. Uh, I guess, blunt about his position on, you know, where he thought Mooch should go in terms of growth. And he said very clearly that he was totally fine with slow and steady, kind of like the slow burn, nice little steady simmer. I mean, Forbes Um, Forbes published
2: an article with an interview with him stating that, and that he, he he wants to keep the brand as as it's iconic titanium American made brand.
0: Yeah. And while there have been some changes in the brand, uh, in the last few years, there's really nothing crazy. I would Mm -hmm. say there's never been any, any red flags raised in the last few years. Yeah. Uh, this is a big red flag for me, however. Um, I, I definitely agree, Dave, that this feels like the sort of thing that should have been done under some sort of sister brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I can think of few brands that have as much brand equity built up over that long of a legacy that could potentially damage that brand equity in such a short period of time by having something like this. And again, the bike itself seems like it's going to be, seems like it's going to be a, be a very good gravel bike but yeah. um i do find it telling how everything about moots is about where it's made what it's made from you know the the craftsmanship the the years of experience all that stuff and from, from what i gather seemingly nothing none of that really applies to this thing and i also mm-hmm. found it very telling how in the press release the, the media pack that we got on this thing there is basically zero mention of Anything about the frame. So mm. there's actually a, a section called frame features, and it doesn't talk about the carbon fiber it's made of or the design process or why it's shaped the way it is or anything mm. like that. It talks about like number of bottle mounts and front and rear fender mounts and that sort of thing. It's, it, I, it, it pains me to say this, but this thing just comes off as being so generic and seeing that Moots logo in the down tube yep. just hurts me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I totally agree. And uh, I guess like, you know, there's, there's countless examples of brands. Iconic prestige uh, brands that have created uh, sibling brands, offshoot brands, to to save the the iconic label. Uh, and the one like top of mind for me because it's tools is is Snap On in the US, uh, a public listed company. And for them, they have uh, Blue Point Tools, which is their offshoot brand of Asian source tools, so tools that they're not make, manufacturing themselves, but they're happy to put their brand on. They're happy to. Supply their their lifetime warranty on, and they and it's what their their truck drivers their their sal- salespeople sell as an alternative to the Snap-on brand. So Snap-on remains as the the prestige brand. Pretty much everything in that lineup is made in America or or, or at least done to their own designs and standards. And then, uh, yeah, the Blue Point brand is 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 the stuff that isn't basically that fills the gap that hits a lower price point. Uh, that's a good exa- That's an example of branding done right because the snap-on brand remains as valuable as it always was while they're still selling product that isn't necessarily snap-on but
1: uh, like that's an example of that but is is this moots project an example of uh if i remember right something you discussed with rob english after the Made show was there are more brands within the cycling space now getting into spaces where typically they haven't been previously and i think the example you used there was Custom frame builders now moving into like stock frames and that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess there may be a little bit of a parallel there, but the difference to me with a lot of custom brands moving into stock offerings is that by and large if they are not the the ones actually still doing the building, uh they at least the, the design of the frame is still as identical to what they have done before custom. Yeah. And usually those usually the people making those frames are there are contractors that are usually often very like physically close to where they are, uh, and they're often by other well-known builders who maybe just have, have production capacity.
2: And, and if not, if they are outsourcing to, to say, Taiwan, uh, like Sky Bikes, um, they're at least using their expertise and their experience in the metal that they have the ex- expertise in to, to produce bikes that they, they've prototyped themselves and have you know tested tested the custom made version themselves and have now given it to other skilled hands to reproduce. I feel like what's happening here with Moots is not at all that. This is not a titanium bike. This is not a an analog bike. You know this is this is wholly new and wholly
0: outside of Moots's wheelhouse. I mean, I do think that Moots probably did need to introduce an e bike at some point. Yeah, I mean, the, I the reality is the reality is they. Their demographic for their customer base is probably, on average, a fair bit older than what it is for the bike industry at large, which is already probably older than average, I'm guessing. Um, And as nice as Moots bikes are, I could certainly see how you wouldn't want to be some, you know, middle 50s, 60s or whatever Moots owner who is kind Mm -hmm. of finding themselves unable to really fully enjoy the bike that they bought however many years ago. So they want to find an e bike, and they would love to stick with Moots. And uh, you know, my issue is that you know I don't. I'm not sure why this isn't a titanium a titanium e bike instead of a carbon fiber one. It just doesn't feel right.
2: Yeah, I mean. In Moose's defense, titanium e-bikes—they probably they probably looked into it, and they're pretty ugly. Like it to, you know, did. you've got pretty big limitations on how you can integrate. Like, yes, you can use three D three uh, D printing to make like the motor mounts and that type of thing, but you still have to consider where the battery goes. And with titanium tubes, that's that's no easy feat. Uh, it, it would have been quite a lot heavier too, for yeah, sure. Yeah, It would have been heavier. Um, I get that it makes doesn't make a lot of sense there, but it, it just returns to the idea that like. I'm fine with this bike existing. I just I just think Moot should remain a, an American-made titanium brand as it always has been, and they can
0: sell off that history in other ways than what they're doing here. I mean, at this point, you know, there's no there's no putting the genie back in the bottle, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um this bike is out. Uh Moots can't move it away from like they can't remove their label from the down tube. Nope. These bikes have already been produced, from what I understand. There's not very many of them from what I hear. Um, so I guess it remains to be seen how this goes and what sort of effect this may or may not have on the brand, um, and to be very clear in future models. Yeah, totally. And what it means for, for moots in general, like yeah. what is moots going to be as a brand? So, yeah. um, you know, to be very, very clear, like it, it, I, the article that's out right now on escape collective, it certainly is not terribly kind to this decision yeah. by moots. Um, but you know, I certainly want to let everyone know that I, I certainly derived no joy in writing this article. Um, Moots is a brand that's certainly very near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, grew up absolutely lusting and, and, you know, adoring the brand growing up, looking at them in magazines and that sort of thing. Um, and it, it just, it, it just hurts me to see this happening and I hope I'm wrong. Mm. Um, but I don't think I am. So we'll see. Yeah. um, all right, well, in less controversial news, um, we got a couple, of, well, I guess a bunch of new road wheels. From I'm a sure we of could London. say things to make it controversial.
1: <laughs> we probably maybe could.
0: Um, but we've got some That's new not- road wheels from Fulcrum, don't we?
1: Yeah, um, I've been wheelie all over my wheels today. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, really need to <sighs> apologize. <for that>. Uh, <laughs> it's late at night here. Uh, but yes, Fulcrum do have a new set of, Uh, what they're calling more versatile and more affordable uh, wheel sets that are pretty much based on the Speed 42 and Speed 57s that we've seen released earlier this year. Uh, In fact, these new wheels, they're calling the Wind 42 and Wind 57. And as the name sort of suggests, they have pretty much the exact same rim profile as those more expensive um, speed performance focused wheels. Um, But these are obviously replacing the existing wind range and the the new, the new wheels are, the new rims are taller and wider with a new 23 millimeter internal rim and 29 millimeter external. Uh, They're carbon of course, and they're hooked tubeless compatible. And uh, they also feature that sort of sealed rim that we, come to expect from fulcrum and campag also so tubeless compatible without like rim tip um, but <clears throat> despite being taller and wider fulcrum are saying that these wheels are actually lighter than the old wind wheel set so they're saying that's thanks to a new sort of mix of carbon and new carbon layups um, but yeah uh, sort of relative I was going to say relatively affordable. I can't. I probably can't go that far. Uh, you're looking at twelve $1, hundred and fifty pounds, sixteen hundred dollars, fourteen hundred euro, and um, for a wheel set that's basically the same as the speed wheel set that's eight hundred euro more expensive. And um, the only the only real difference again being that carbon layup. Let's um, say FF eighty mix that Falcon calls it in the in the new wheels versus the FF one hundred in the speeds. Um, and basically the difference is there that they're a little bit heavier um, but mm. aerodynamically they should perform mm. pretty similar the,
2: the, the standout there was the 23 millimeter internal width because Fulcrum's <laughs> yes, been yes. historically very traditional as you know along with Campeg in that, in that sense uh, but yeah 23 is wider than I thought they would have gone
1: yeah um, I mean it's the 29 that Jumps out to me the external width mm. being a bit of an arrow weenie or whatever um, mm-hmm. should should work well with the twenty eight mil tire there um, aerodynamically speaking. Uh, I One other difference, sorry the the winds also use a sealed cartridge spraying in the hubs rather than cup and cone that you get in the yeah. There's probably the, some the weight savings in. there
2: as well in the in that hub uh, compared mm. to cup and cone system. But uh, yeah, whether that's yeah, intentional they, or whether it's just a cost a cost thing, but. Uh, yeah,
1: I'd imagine. One forty twos are basically fifteen hundred grams, whereas the fifty sevens are about fifteen hundred eighty five. Gotcha, grams. Claimed. Okay. Hmm. Not so bad. No, not bad for a fifty seven mill rim.
2: Yeah, I mean Fulcrum, yeah. Fulcrum, and you know Campagnolo, which they won't like me saying this, but they're typically a very, very similar wheel, except for generally the the lacing pattern and mm-hmm. the logos. Uh, but yeah, they're. Historically, a very reliable option, um, and you know, yeah. if you can get a wheel that's competitive in weight from them, then chances are you're going to have a, a great experience.
0: Yeah, and reliable in terms of hub quality in particular. Uh, like their bearings yeah. have always been really good, and the build quality <laughs> has generally been very good. So, um, historically, for me, it has been one of those brands where they don't always kind of like jump off the page on mm-hmm. paper in terms of their specs. Um, but it, the, oftentimes, it's one of those things where the qualities. Where their where their positive qualities sometimes don't really come out until you know several years down the road. Yep, an underrated product, which is saying yep. something because they're actually quite popular. So it's
1: yeah. Um, the other, uh, not sure if I mentioned the starting up, but I meant to. But the other big difference between these and the speeds is that that these are actually rated for or approved for light gravel use or uh, ASTM category two. Yeah, you know what that means. Um, Yeah, it's kind of it's it's in relation to like
2: uh, the the testing done on the wheels and the the rider system weight. So it's like the if you see like a a ninety kilogram max limit on a set of wheels, it typically means that they're specifically for road use. And then uh, the one hundred and ten kilogram system use typically means they've passed the standards for for use on on light off road use. So um, that's sort of where that comes from. That's worth a deep dive. We should we should. uh,
1: we should flag that and come mm-hmm. back to that topic at some point. On, Scribble on that, that down, Dave. Hundred twenty kilo limit on, oh, on the new fifty sevens. Yeah, there you go. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: I might be confusing uh, standards there a little bit, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come back to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, Fulcrum at least are referring to this one in terms of it's these wheels are approved for light gravel off road mm-hmm. use. Uh, so, take them any. Further than that, you're likely to not do them any favors, but they're certainly, you know, one of the, one of the things they're marketing as a difference between these and the speeds is the options it offers you in terms of going off the tarmac. All
0: right, well, anyway, uh, I suppose maybe we can look into bringing a couple of these sets of wheels in for review if we think about it. Um, but let's move on to tires in the next, uh, in the next little bit of news here, um, because we got a couple of little interesting developments. So I feel like it's been kind of forever in a day that uh, various people have been trying to come up with an airless bicycle tire that doesn't actually suck. Uh, and one of the most intriguing entrants uh, is actually made out of metal, of all things. So more specifically, it's a nickel titanium alloy called Nitinol that this new brand called the Smart Tire Company uh it says it's a quote lightweight highly flexible super elastic metal that stretches like rubber but is strong like titanium and will always instantly snap back into its original shape unquote uh looking at the tire itself it kind of looks like sort of like a big slinky toy that's kind of fashioned into a hoop and then covered with a traditional tread um it, looks like it a is really kind of garden hose kind of yeah so mm. like it is covered the metal is covered all the way around um so some pretty intriguing quality. So it, the company is saying that it can be retreaded for just 10 bucks, uh, starting at 10 bucks. So meaning you can theoretically use the same casing over and over again, which is good for sustainability, of course. Uh, and then the claimed weight is actually surprisingly reasonable at 450 grams for a 700 by 32 size. Um, I mean, if any of this sounds kind of familiar, that's because it was actually previously pitched not too long ago under the metal moniker, metal as in M E T L. Uh, from a few years ago, so but now the, the big difference is that it's supposedly ready for primetime, if you consider primetime being Kickstarter campaign, uh, and a pair of tires is selling for hope, well, it looks like everyone's sitting down a pair of <laughs> tires is selling for 500 US dollars uh, I would imagine we have some thoughts on this who wants to chime My in first? My
2: first thought is, um, air is free <laughs> to inflate your tires with and that's like the main pitch here right is that you it's an airless tire yeah for the meantime um yeah anyway it's uh i think that's that's worth noting uh i also think historically any airless tire has always fallen apart in the actual usability of it in terms of getting it on the rim easily taking it off the rim if you ever need to do it uh and then bigger picture what does the tread look like what you know how does that perform? Does it actually grip? Uh, I think it's a very interesting engineering problem to solve, and you know the company has contracts with the likes of NASA and all that. Uh, I, I truly do believe it's it's a very interesting segment, but I, I think it's uh, one of those engineering problems that is probably harder than it needs to be. Given
1: pneumatic tires are so good. Do you get the feeling it's one of those engineering problems that the engineers have looked at the bicycle and thought that would be a good place to start, rather than maybe looking at somewhere that might be a better place to start? Wouldn't be the
0: first time. Can Mm -hmm. someone say? Did I hear someone say (laughs) Superstrata?
2: Yeah, I think I think (laughs) bicycles—they're easy. I think they've even gone on record to say that they're they're starting with a Kickstarter bicycle product as like a, a, you know, a way to prove the product in a consumer marketplace you know, rather than mm. starting in cars or something like that.
0: All right. Well, like I said, I mean, this whole metal tire thing or the airless tire thing, uh, it's something that people seem compelled to continue to chase and we'll see how this one goes. Um, 500 bucks a pair though. sounds like it's basically just going to be a little bit of a science experiment, but we'll see, yeah, it'll, it'll be, it'll be fun to follow. It's promising. Um, I think, yeah, given, given the, anything, the, it, the it, company behind it and the history that they've, they've had in getting here, I think it's, probably one of the more promising options it's going to be interesting interesting to follow regardless um so in not so good tire news however we've got a recall to share so this time it comes from pirelli uh specifically the recall applies to the p0 race tlr those road tires in the 700 by 28 mil size uh the official notice suggests there's about 14 and a half thousand affected tires floating about um although the notice supposedly only affects tires sold through competitive cyclist trek and angry catfish stores between March 2023 through July 2023 um and there also date codes listed between 10 between 1023 and 2423 the recall notice does not go into like real nitty gritty specifics as far as what exactly is wrong with these tires, but it does say that there's a risk of quote rapid air loss unquote. So take that as you will. So as always with any recall, if you think you might have some of these things, the first thing you need to do is to stop riding them uh, and then contact your place of purchase for more info. But uh, you should keep in mind that even if you didn't buy those tires at one of those three retailers mentioned, uh, it's unclear if Trek may have been the distributor for where, if you did buy them. So uh Best thing to go. Best thing to do is just go ahead and head over to Pirelli.com for more info on that, and um, play it safe because I would say that uh, a, a sudden tire blow off does not sound fun. It
2: Says with uh, with certain rims, um, It's where is something I saw mentioned. Uh, you know, rapid air loss with certain rims. Uh, do we think those certain rims
0: might be hookless? Might be hookless? You know, it's unfortunately just vague. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, always kind of the thing with these recall notices. Like they're they're meant for the general public. They're they don't they often don't contain anywhere near as much technical information as we would want. Mm. And realistically, that's it, they probably only include just as much technical information as the manufacturer is willing to disclose. Yeah. Um. So don't know, and we don't know if this is a. Yeah, we don't know if it's a hookless thing. We don't know if it's like a, ca- a sudden casing failure, if the bead itself is going to break, if the tire is going to blow. We, we don't really know. Um, just don't really have a whole lot of info. But yeah, the point, point being, uh, if you have some of those tires, stop riding them. Uh, and like if you have not riding them and you're thinking to yourself, oh, these have been fine. I'll just keep riding them. The problem with those those sorts of things is they're often fine until they're not. Um so some of you listening may have uh, maybe thinking to yourself that this is not a new recall. It's like, huh, I think I've heard this before. Uh, that's because Porelli did announce this recall earlier in different regions. Uh, so this is uh, this is a notice that just went out to North America not too long ago. Um, same tires, same date codes, um, from what I understand anyway. But the, uh, the difference here is that each country does have its own governing body for this sort of thing. Um, so that's why notices are kind of going out Somewhat haphazardly, but either way, the the tire is the same. The advice is the same, and uh, yeah, our advice is certainly the yes, same. They, they safe. just needed to establish that the American air was causing
2: the same issues as the as the British. <laughs> yes, air. yes, and yes, uh, yes we we got
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, enough with tires. Uh, we're going to head back to the e bike beat just for a bit. Um, so it, it's very very likely you have heard about this brand rad power you've probably seen a whole bunch of them rolling around uh wherever you are uh we've certainly talked about them here in the past and rad power has made an interesting announcement the other day saying that given all the attention uh in recent months on e-bike battery fires uh moving forward they're committing to only producing bikes that comply with ul safety standards so uh the company ceo phil Molino, sorry i'm My apologies, Phil, if I'm butchering your name, uh, recently said to recently said in in an interview with the tech publication, The Verge, uh, quote, we're very passionate about safety of our riders and the quality of our bikes and pushing the industry forward. And that's coming from the mantle that we are America's largest e-bike brand. And so we have a responsibility to to drive the e-bike momentum forward in terms of the safety agenda, unquote. Um, So just to provide a little bit of background, UL is maybe better known by its old name, Underwriters Laboratories. Uh, It's a U.S.-based but global nonprofit organization. Uh, It basically just sort of determines if a whole bunch of different consumer products are safe to use. Um, I think it's great that Rad Power is making this pledge, and I think it's good that it's going to happen as soon as model year 24 stuff. So it's going to be rolling out pretty soon. Um, uh, However, Rad Power has been selling an awful lot of bikes, and that also means that the company has been knowingly uh, putting out over 600,000 of these e-bikes out into the world that were not UL listed. And that was by their own choice. Yeah.
2: I I kind of see there being quite a lot of PR spin in this one, in that they are probably in the near future going to be forced to offer something of UL standards or or equivalent uh, in order to sell their bikes within certain regions of the US. Like New York are pushing for this. I, I know there are other other states in the US that are quickly moving to bring in um, required standards in this in this level. And I think yeah, Brad Power to exist as a company moving forward would have. Had to have done this anyway, uh, yeah. So I, I kind of see this as a bit of spin. I think they, they needed to do it. I, I agree, James. It's it's a bit worrying that it's taken them this long. Uh, and I think it's also worth noting that any brand that isn't meeting these standards or an equivalent safety standard, um, you probably shouldn't buy. I think is is probably the, the the main thing to say. Like you know, all all the high end e bikes that in the market. Bosch, Shimano, Bros, whatever, whatever high-end brand—they all pass these standards. It's just the the lower cost stuff that I think is
1: really worth looking at and scrutinizing before you ever purchase one. And the doubly frustrating thing about it is that for the brands who aren't up to these standards, it it, and for legs of Rad Power moving to these standards, it, it might already be too late for a heck of a lot of people who want. Something as awesome as an e-bike, because I know there's like apartment blocks, and you know you spoke about New York City and all there, where bans may well be implemented, and if the person implementing those bans are not cyclists or fans of e-bikes, it may be very difficult to get those bans overturned. Yeah, Um, yeah, the damage is absolutely done. Much, much worse than much, much worse than that is obviously when there's a a fire that happens as a result of one of these, and you know, whole buildings at risk. People with unsighted are at risk. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it's kind of, these shooting themselves in the foot and that just as e-bikes are taking off, you're getting all this bad press because they are just not up to, or a few brands are not up to the standards that that dealers are.
0: Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to come off as being anti e-bike at all. And I actually really like e-bikes. Uh, I obviously own one. I've talked about our urban arrow quite a bit. Um, I, Dave, you just bought an e-bike, you know, Wade, he one. has a, a the second mm. one. you know, Wade has, Wade has a, a specialized Levo that he, that he commutes on quite a bit. Um, I, I'm very pro e-bike in general. Um, I'm very anti low quality, sketchy, Sort of, you know, sketchy manufacturing e bike. Uh, Let's just make that very clear. So, I I certainly know of a whole bunch of shops who actually won't work on bikes, uh, won't work on e bikes that don't use UL certified components. Um, And, you know, for obvious reasons, like we were just talking about the whole battery fire thing, I'm not saying that a bike that is not UL certified is going to catch on fire or anything, but there is that extra layer of confidence that, uh, you know, someone has dotted their eyes and crossed their t's and stuff when you're looking at these things
2: yeah like uh using bosch as an example they their battery technology is is pretty impressive when you look at all the uh the safety measures that are within that battery and all the the redundancies and and the way that they can prevent um thermal runaway and all that so there's you look at a a, a battery off a an aliexpress e-bike for example and it doesn't have Really, any of those safety measures? So, uh, yeah, there's there's absolutely cause uh, for concern here, and uh, yeah, as Ronan was saying, uh, unfortunately, having so many e-bikes in the market that don't meet these standards has done the damage, and and hopefully, it's it's not too late for for the e-bike market and the you know electric vehicle market to um, yeah rewind some of that
0: damage and, and prove that these products can be safe to own. All right, well, kind of. Continuing on with the questionable e-bike quality sort of thing, <laughs> we've got another recall. Uh, this time from this another company called Electric. So E L E C T uh, R I C. And this particular recall has nothing to do with e-bike components at all, but rather the mechanical disc brakes that that brand uses. So according to the this again, so this is a U.S. recall. So according to the CPSC recall notice, uh, quote, the mechanical disc brake calipers located on the front and rear of the e-bike can fail, resulting in loss of control, posing crash and injury hazards to the driver, unquote. Uh, That recall notice also says that there's about forty five thousand of these e-bikes out in the world. So not nearly as many as the Red Powers. Um, But uh, CPSC says it's report. CPSC says it's received reports of. Four reports of a loss of braking power injury, quote, loss of braking power, including two injuries that involved cuts, scrapes, and a broken bone, unquote. Uh, Of course, the notice says that you should stop riding these things right away. uh, And the company apparently is reaching out to owners directly to supply replacement front and rear mechanical disc brake calipers. uh, And they're also supplying up to $100 toward the cost of replacing those. Um, So, kind of going along the lines of what you were saying earlier Daly, I don't I don't see this as a failing of the e-bike industry specifically, but it's most definitely a failing of you know super cheap and crappy e-bikes in general because these e-bike components do cost money to mm. add to a regular bike. Um, and then particularly when you have the inexpensive e-bike market, Kind of selling themselves based on power and range, but seemingly mostly on power and max speed, that sort of thing. Uh, these things are are class three, meaning that they have they have throttle control. They they have assist up to twenty eight miles per hour, which is uh, what is that? Is that forty five k? I think um, relatively low cost of entry. They're super popular with kids in particular. Um, I mean, it's bad enough that we have a bunch of crappy bikes out there, period, but crappy e-bikes in, part- in particular just come across to me as absolute disasters waiting to happen. Yeah, it,
2: it feels to me like brakes are often, far too often, the an area of cost cutting. Uh, I mean, they have to cut costs on everything on these bikes in order to hit the price point. So, But I think brakes are the one that continuously come up as the problem. Uh, and I mean, to me that, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense that that's the case because... Brakes are one of the only safety-related things that you're gonna you're gonna see become a problem, uh, and I, yeah, I don't know. It's for me like a, a bike like this. There's so much more weight in it. It's going faster. You need better brakes on a bike like this than you do on an analog bike, and at, yeah, especially when you've got four kids yeah, on it. And at this price point, we're still seeing analog bikes with brakes that aren't good enough. So it just makes sense that yeah. To me, I'm not surprised at all by this recall. Like I think it's just bound to happen with the number of bikes in the market with with brakes that just aren't suitable for for what they need to do uh i mean you and i james we tested some road bikes last year that had mechanical disc brakes that by oh, all means yeah, should have been fine about and that. they just they just were not safe like we you know we we bed them in and we just couldn't come to a stop in what we deemed to be a, a safe distance and that's a racing bike of a decent quality level we're talking about e-bikes here which are much heavier and still trying to hit the same price point
0: Uh, If anyone listening to this podcast is an actuary, I would love to see some numbers crunched as far as what the potential cost savings are for these companies that are looking to to spec such cheap, low-quality components on their bike versus the potential cost of a lawsuit that would happen when someone invariably gets hurt on these things. Um, I would have to imagine there's some tipping point there, and yeah, maybe they're calculating this ahead of time. Maybe they're being that callous about it, and maybe they're not. I'm not really sure. Um, but you know, if this thing affects forty five thousand e-bikes, if you know, they're saving, I don't know, a couple bucks on each one, which is maybe not outside of the realm of possibility. You know, let's say they're saving a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars in production cost, but if they get hit with one decent lawsuit, yeah, you know, in and in, in the United States we like to sue people. So if you're gonna see some if you're gonna sue someone you're gonna sue for a lot of money. So you say let's just say you, you get one lawsuit that you have to settle or whatever for, you know, a million, two million, five million, whatever, then all of a sudden that money that you saved nickel and diming the bike, like you just flushed it all down the toilet. Yeah.
2: Uh, I will say like mechanical disc brakes aren't the problem here, but like Bad mechanical disc brakes are the problem. The other big issue here is that these bikes, mechanical disc brakes especially, require ongoing maintenance to actually work well. And I can tell you that of the forty-five thousand bikes that were recalled, I would assume forty thousand of them would probably only see a mechanic when the brakes go bad. When the brakes stop working, they'd be taken in for a service. It'd be a very reactive service. Uh I feel like
0: you're. I feel like you're being very generous. Maybe very generous.
2: Maybe forty nine thousand and something, something. But yeah, I think that that again is is fundamental here. Is that the e bike brands are not doing enough to educate customers on the needs to regularly service these things and to to ensure that the brakes are consistently in working order. Because I would suspect that some of these, you know, some of those reported injuries probably could have been prevented with having a, a mechanic go over the
0: bike. Yeah, and we were just talking about Rad Power a few minutes ago. They had a recall not that long ago related to rim strips. Um, so if there are any mechanics out there, um, <clears throat> Rad Power, for apparently they were using just like the super, super cheap butyl rim strips in their rims for quite a while. And not surprisingly, there were a bunch of wheels where that strip would migrate over and expose the, expose the, the spoke nipple heads. And then they were having blowouts of the tubes. And then... You know, you have these cargo bikes, which are already heavier to begin with, and then they may or may not have been loaded down with people or groceries or whatever. And then at that point, when you have a blowout, it's not going to be good. So however however many pennies Rad Power saved on that decision, I'm positive that did not work out. Yeah, they should
1: spend $500 on airless (laughs) tires. More more worrying news on a similar topic there, but uh, I think it was... Kristen Jenny at Cycling Weekly was reporting today or yesterday that actually are <clears throat> facing another class action lawsuit uh, for allegedly faulty forks and quick release skewer designs, um, which again, with when factored in with the weight of these bikes, uh, was causing serious injury. I think the person taking the suit actually broke five ribs in a in a crash, and he's well, he's taking a suit, so obviously he or he's taking a case, so obviously he is laying the blame with rad part there
2: um i i think i mentioned something at, at least a year ago on the podcast something along the lines of that i don't believe e-bike should be at such a low cost price point and that i kind of think you know if you're going to buy an e-bike you should only buy one from a reputable brand and that there there's kind of like a, a price minimum to to this and I, I i feel kind of justified right now because yeah uh there's just there's no way to make a bike that cheap and have everything perfect.
1: that's kinda double the problem here is that if you want one of the you know one of the bikes that e-bikes that you or I would want, yeah. it's they cost a lot of money. It's a huge um, amount of money. And, but at least it's safe. And <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's safe, yeah. 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 And uh we probably wouldn't go for one one of these cheaper bikes that we have question marks about, but if you're You know, if you're not a cyclist or you're not uh, all that into, you know, everything we've just discussed here, you might look at one of these cheaper options and go, well, it's an e-bike. That's what I want. And it's far better value for money. What could go wrong? Yeah. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes a lot can go wrong. Um, So it's, it's probably the customers who are most at risk here are also the customers who are least likely to be aware of the risks. Yeah,
0: 100%. Yeah. Yeah, and again, like I am certainly not anti e-bike in any way. Um, but you know, if you talk to people who work in hospitals and emergency room staff and that sort of thing, it is it is not just anecdotal information. Like there is definitely statistical evidence out there that a lot more people are getting hurt on these things. Uh oftentimes because you know they have brakes that don't work or they have too many people on them, whatever. Um, but the sorts of injuries that that we're seeing on these bikes are often now not so much bicycle. Or not so much injuries that you often see with bicycles, but they're like injuries that you more often see with like mopeds and motorcycles, that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, these things often have quite a lot of power. They go quite fast. um, And when you go real fast and you don't have brakes that don't work, that's a problem.
2: And they're often being used by people
1: with no experience. I I was going to say I kind of worry about the rhetoric around that, but I I really worry about it because I'm I'm not saying that doesn't happen, that people don't get injured on e-bikes, but you know, people get injured in cars and mopeds and electric scooters, James, um, on, you know, we get, we get injured in multiple different ways, but for some reason there seems to be a focus on e-bike injuries, or at least maybe I'm just more aware of it because, you know, I, I want an e-bike and I don't have an e-bike and I see this pop up and I worry then, or, you know, I, I, and someone was going to mention earlier and it did not because it kind of think it's off topic, but, uh, the last time I had a run on an e-bike, I think, or a proper prolonged run on an e-bike, was back in like 2017, 2018, uh, when I worked with Sustrans. And uh, being a charity that promotes walking and cycling, we had just invested in a fleet of new e-bikes, only to discover after buying this fleet that at that time, under Northern Irish legislation, or legislation e-bikes had to be taxed and insured uh, like motorbikes, and with no functioning government, as is often the case here, there was no way to get that legislation <laughs> updated. And so the bikes were out of action unless one scrupulous employee snuck down during lunchtime and took them out to go and get his lunch. Which, of course, never happened. Never happened. But, mm. yeah, my fe- my fear is that we just, you know, Paris has banned scooters. Are they going to ban? Yeah e-bikes you know the a lot of the uh, time bikes you see there are e-bikes um you you, know, you only have to walk through a city with a, a bike share scheme to see that this the state of disrepair that these bikes are in and if the accidents that are happening on those bikes are lumped in and and the response to those accidents is are lumped in with just all e-bikes generally speaking uh i think that could be quite worrying
0: well it, it's kind of as is the case with many things right like the The thing sounds good in theory, but, uh, the execution is often lacking. And to me, I feel like with a lot of the e-bike things, um, you know, I think it's fantastic that people are using e-bikes to get around the, the whole micro mobility movement, not having to get into cars and that sort of thing. Uh, those are all huge positives. Um, however, I also see lots of pitfalls with offering bikes that are, that make it so, so easy for people to go that fast. And to carry that many people without any sort of education or without any sort of limitations and that sort of thing. I mean, yes, there is legislation in a lot of cases, but I mean, who are we kidding? Who, who hasn't seen who hasn't seen a kid with like, you know, towing two of their two of their buddies on one of these things, just ripping through a neighborhood somewhere? Uh, it, it again, it just sounds like it, it sounds great in theory, but it just sounds like the execution is a recipe for
1: problems. There was a kid where I used to live who had just gone like a whole step further and added a motor to his mountain bike. Um, no no pedaling required at that point. It was just open the throttle uh, and you could hear him coming for about five minutes before he actually reached this <laughs> point. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Oh, I sound like such a
0: grumpy old man. Anyway. All right. Let's get on to some fun news here to round out the the our news segment here. Uh so you may have heard of American pro cyclist Ashton Lambie. Uh, he first earned a name for himself on the track. Uh, he's kind of more recently started doing a bunch of gravel racing though and uh had a little bit of a mishap uh, had a little bit of a mishap while out on course in uh, at an event in Spain. So according to his Instagram post, he quote unclipped and somehow put his foot through the seat stay while trying to keep it upright. Unquote. Uh the result of that foot uh, through his seat stay was a totally broken seat stay on his love sigla uh, which he apparently repaired with uh, a stick uh, and bailing twine that he found on the side of the road so he kept going <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> yes repaired <laughs> sort of repaired um and and this was just before so this happened very early on in the, in the race too so uh, and this was just to kind of get him by until he could do what he called a sturdier fix with tape and zip ties at the next aid station. So uh, like I said, this happened very early in the event event, and he still managed to finish. This event was 110 miles long. So I'm not sure what that is in kilometers uh, and 9,000 feet of climbing. So, you know, almost 3000 meters or so. Uh, The pictures are absolutely bonkers. You need to go check out his Instagram page. He, his tag is Bahama long bottom on Instagram. So just go ahead and check it out. You've got to see the pictures. It's fantastic.
2: Uh, I've seen this being done before. Um, Camp, camp utensils like titanium forks, sporks, uh, uh, and zip ties, uh, are absolutely the, the primo way to do this. If you happen to be traveling overnight, uh, and have that, the ability to do that. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, it's amazing what,
0: what you can use to fix a, a seat stay and actually have it survive. So one product that, uh, that someone mentioned to me, uh, sorry, I can't remember their name. Uh, but, uh Dave you might remember this thing it's called it was called FiberFix. Mm. it was basically uh this pouch that had uh essentially like a water activated some sort of like epoxy fabric wrap it almost looked like an ace band was like if you sprain your wrist or ankle or something like that but it was already preloaded with a bunch of of, uh, of epoxy and uh so that company was bought by jb weld it's now called jb weld fiber weld um but uh it That actually seems like it would have been a perfect, like absolutely perfect product for Ashton Lambie to have with him on this event. Maybe a new uh, sponsor. It's uh, maybe, maybe it seems like a prime opportunity, but I, I did check speaking of prime. <laughs> it's actually on sale for $9 on Amazon at the moment. I uh, checked. Okay.
1: Uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about there, James, but, uh, Jack Aiken, who's a member of escape collective, uh, Yes, that Jack Aiken. That's a real niche joke. Some people might get it, most won't. Uh but uh he was messing me recently telling me about uh these large sheets of quick set carbon fiber that they with like sort of an adhesive back on it that they use. So he's I should say Jack Aiken's like a endurance car driver has driven in Formula One. Um and he was saying in their endurance races at the moment or not at the moment, but just in general, uh, if they have like a crash or damage the car, they can quickly apply this uh, quick set carbon fiber. It will, I don't think it really gives it much structural rigidity, but it just stops the thing from from falling apart mid-race. So I don't know if that's similar or not, but um, something like that. Um, Although although I think this frame from um, Ashton's is just... (laughs) Yeah. I did notice he did something else today, like a, a further re- repair <laughs> that wasn't really just like taking a, a stick of carbon fiber and taped it to the chains, the seat stay.
0: I, I would, I would love for him to just sort of like continue with bodge after bodge and just keep racing this thing <laughs> and just see how far into the ZZ he can get.
2: No, seat stays yeah, are okay. I, I wouldn't put it past him for doing that either. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, it's on brand.
1: It's pretty awesome. For those for those who maybe don't know, but Ashton's also like the first person in history to go sub four minutes for an individual mm-hmm. 4K pursuit. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's wicked fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah uh, minor correction. I mean, James, you mentioned he was a track cyclist that more recently has done gravel, but I actually think it's the other way around. I think he was... Oh, was it? I think he Sorry. was an ultra endurance gravel cyclist who realized oh. he had massive power and then tried his hand at track. I think you're right, Dave. Yeah. I think so you're right. now he... he obviously just smashes both so yeah anyway i i think Mm. you
0: might be listening so hello (laughs) well and well ashton if you are listening if you do take my suggestion to heart (laughs) i can't wait to follow that on instagram it's so good (laughs) uh Anyway, alright, that wraps it up for the new segment of the show. As I said earlier, or early on, I uh, had quite a lot of news to get through this week's episode, so we're running kind of long here. Uh, anyone here have anything on their mind this week?
2: Yeah, I've got $10,000 wheels on my mind, because uh, I oh, just okay. I just wrapped up a review of the Partington, uh, Partington MK2 R39-44 wheels, which are an Australian made full carbon wheel, uh, which... Had the intentions when they launched to kind of become the new lightweight of the industry, like the you know disc brake specific tubeless ready wheel that was lighter than lightweight, had similar stiffness and and I guess ride attributes, but uh, just with a, a a new fresh approach to how they they built the wheel. Um, I've wrapped up my test of that wheel, and I have to say it's probably the best road wheel set I've ever used um and that kind of pains they'd better
0: be dave and
2: that and that pains me because uh i've given them back and i now like my bike a whole lot
0: less (laughs) oh my i mean dave i think you and i talked about those partingtons uh when i did that synchros wheel review um because certainly as jaw-dropping as that ten thousand dollar price tag and that's australian isn't it yeah yeah it's in the six range for us yeah um so as much as that price tag definitely makes my eyes water a little bit, um, it, it's actually become a pretty competitive price point at this, at, at this point in terms of like what else is out there. It's cheaper than lightweights, uh, um, than, uh, over my So yeah, it's,
2: I mean, they're not the most expensive wheel, which is saying is, is ridiculous to say, but it's true. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those, those Syncross are a bit li- uh, a bit lower cost, aren't they?
0: Uh, they were lower cost. They were wider. They were lighter. They were presumably not more lighter. aero and so on and so forth. They were not. Oh, well, the Partington's were shallower, though, weren't they? No. <laughs> Dave, we had this discussion. There was, there was something. Uh,
2: the, the Partington's are shallower than the one you tested, but not then compared to the SL Syncross, the, light, the, the lightweight Syncross, which is okay, a few grams heavier than the Partington. Uh, and then where okay. it gets ridiculous Got is it. that Partington are currently working on a, an even shallower version, which will be about 100 grams lighter again. Um, I mean, will those, even, will those even stay upright? I don't know. I mean, and having just ridden these, uh, I'm going to say yes. Uh, they're very impressive, and I think the price reflects that. Uh, but yeah, I, I was blown away by how a wheel can be so stiff yet still somewhat compliant. Uh, and I think you had similar things to say about the Syncros.
0: For sure, for sure. I mean, for as much as we kind of lambast ultra expensive wheels like that, the the sad fact of the matter is that they are stupidly good. Uh, and Ronan, as you're going to find out not too long from now, because I just put you in touch with someone from Lightweight because they want to uh, send over a set of loaner wheels for us to review. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we're going to be perpetuating this whole thing of really, really expensive wheels.
1: We're somehow uh, all not going to be disappointed necessarily- with our bikes. Soon.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not really going to be necessarily saying that you have to have these things, but uh, the sad fact of the matter is oftentimes those crazy expensive wheels are actually better. Even though even if they're not proportionally better, they are often better. But
2: not in every situation. So, I mean, as my, as no, my review no. points out, I mean, there are limitations to having such a stiff wheel. And for me, it was when I was riding less than ideal surface tarmac. Uh, stuff, you know, say tarmac that's probably been put over really um rooty terrain so you can actually feel the roots through the tarmac uh and if you're cornering on that then such a uh, high lateral stiffness doesn't lend itself to having as much traction as when you do that same corner on a f- more flexible wheel uh so
0: right that 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 and they don't make you your morning coffee or no. make your bed or Wash your clothes for you, and so on and so forth. They do not. So
2: limitations, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I mean, there's absolutely trade-offs to having such a yeah uh, a single-piece wheel. But uh, for the most part, I was
0: very blown away by by how good they did so many things. Gotcha. All right. Well, I'm. I'll I'll be eagerly awaiting the the next the next iteration of these Partington wheels. Single Uh, single
1: single-piece wheel followed by a single-figure bank account. Bounce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, Ronan, based on previous
0: conversations, I know you've got quite a lot on your mind that you've been building up for the last few weeks. Uh, and I've got, I've got something for this week as well. But but we're running pretty long here. So I'm just going to go ahead and cut it off for the On, on Your Mind segment here. And we're just going to wrap up with a single PSA. Um, so I can't remember which uh, Escape Collective member sent me this little info. Um, But we do have a little interesting word of caution for some Shimano DIT owners out there. Maybe not so much word of caution. But uh, anyway, uh, if you look carefully at the Shimano manual for the DIT charger, uh, there's a specific mention regarding the DIT charger input wattage. So uh, this is a direct quote. It says, quote, use an AC adapter with a USB port that has a voltage of 5.0 volts DC and a current higher than one amp DC. If one with a current lower than one amp is used, the AC adapter may heat up, potentially causing a fire, smoke, overheating, electric shock, or burns, unquote. Just four uh, fires and, tonight. Yeah, well, this this was intriguing because you kind of intuitively would think that if you use a charger that kicked out way too much power, that that would be a problem. So it didn't really come across as particularly obvious that if you use a char- charger that, did, that didn't put out enough power, that that would be an issue, but it uh, kind of reached out to someone. So this is not an official uh, comment from Shimano. We weren't really able to get a, a statement from them on this. Um, but from what I understand, uh, the way it was explained to me was that as long as the correct voltage adapter is used, so the device is only going to draw as much amperage as it needs. So you can never get too many amps. However, if the, uh, if the adapter's is rated current is lower than what the device is wants for an input, then it's possible that that device could, Power and draw more current than it was really designed for, so that could cause the adapter to overheat or fail. That's why that's going on there. Like basically, it's trying to draw more
1: power than it's rated for. What What I want to know is, do I still need to use a laptop to charge my di two? I don't have di two, but if I did, or uh, I guess that depends on the output of output of your USB ports, huh? Mm, it does, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. One of
2: the one of the rules I was told with di two is not to plug into like one of the straight generic USB power outlets, like in a wall. And is to mm-hmm. always go through like a a, a voltage controlled device, like a laptop. But also, you could probably you know quite safely use a, a USB um, PowerPoint adapter that that you is
0: you know of known quality from a a reputable phone manufacturer or something similar. Well, I mean, the reason why this comes up though is because a lot of older phone chargers don't actually put out enough power. Uh, And I think those are specifically the ones where you could run into an issue because some of the, I guess, some of the older, especially tiny phone chargers, um, some of those just might not put out enough power. So yeah, that's just my my friendly PSA. So uh, as I mentioned before, just create a panic. Uh. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, check your check your check check the the ratings on the back of the power adapter that you're using for your di2. uh, If you're somehow able to read that, just read ridiculously ridiculously small font that they stick on those things it's got to be what like i don't know like 0.2 point font or something like that I don't know, it's just ridiculous um and it somehow always ends up being like light silver on white or something mm-hmm. like that anyway uh i did mention that that little tip came off uh, came to us from an, an escape collective member uh speaking of members so dave how do we pay for all this stuff how, how does geek warning get funded
2: uh i sell my personal tool collection and oh oh so we're good for years yeah Yeah. no we uh we're entirely member funded so it's through our subscribers and our readers that this content is brought to to everyone and continues to be brought to everyone and and it's how we create all of our content so yeah if if you're listening then hopefully you're already a member or or uh paid reader and and if not then seriously please consider it Uh, i mean we are about to do a special episode uh which you'll hear um but yeah we're moving to have more podcasts and those podcasts will be made exclusive to our members so we'll we'll tell you more about that soon but uh yeah you'll be missing out if you're not a if you're not a member soon
0: enough so if you haven't already hit stop on your on your computer or phone or whatever at this point uh one thing we do absolutely request if you're not going to become a member uh, of the escape collective which would make us very very sad by the way uh please at least head over to itunes and leave us a rating and review because that also helps us out because it helps more people find geek warning uh so yeah at least do us
1: that favor if you're not going to become a member so that's all we ask we we'll make a deal oh a deal what, what you got Members can leave whatever rating they feel is adequate. Non-members have to do five-star ratings.
2: I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of our members will, will find the humor in giving us one-star reviews, <laughs> realizing how, how, how much that will actually impact our discoverability. Um,
1: okay, no deal, yeah, no I yeah, take yeah. that back. Yeah. Five stars only. Yeah. Say what you want in the comments, but five stars only. Yes, there you go. We'll, that's a good we'll leave compromise. it. We'll
0: leave it at that. Say say whatever you want in the comments, but five stars only. That sounds like a very, very good, very, very good pitch. All right, all right. That's all we've got for this week's Geek Warning. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week. Cheers.